Hey everyone, welcome back to Relentless Minds. Today's story, an incredibly grounding conversation, comes from a special man by the name of Ron Dudley. Ron lives in Washington, D.C. and is a musician, poet, and also an author. I was able to meet Ron through Street Sense Media, a nonprofit that publishes a newspaper in the city that is written and sold by people experiencing homelessness in an effort to spread awareness of their struggles, create an avenue for income, and allowing them the space to explore their talents. Ron has struggled with his housing situation for years, which keeps him separated from his children and leaves him feeling unstable. Ron has been working with Street Sense for six years, working hard to make an income, which he contributes to further with the proceeds of his book called My Science Project, a collection of profound and thought-provoking poems. Today, I tap into Ron's life, his mindset, and his hopes for a future as he shares with us his incredible ability to prevail when it seems that the odds are against him. Let's begin the conversation. Welcome, Ron. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to let you know that I have been looking forward to this conversation since I connected with Maddie and Brian from Street Sense Media, and I'm really happy that we were all able to make this happen. So Ron, I know that you have been working with Street Sense for a few years. I would like to start this conversation discussing your work with Street Sense and your personal experience with housing instability. Right now I'm renting a room, so I've been renting a room for about three years now. But um, I actually, four or five years years ago, I had a bad lease agreement. There is no subleasing in D.C. housing authority, and I was renting an apartment from a woman that had housing and I didn't know the law. I was going through a lot at the time. I was living in a room. And my goal was just to get out the room. I think with, within in a short time, my landlord came in and robbed me and my fiance and and tried to take the lease and get us, you know, just tried to do what she could do to get us to leave. But the whole time she was breaking the rules. Your landlord actually stole from you and your fiance? Yeah, yeah. We had um because I was living in a room at the time and I was like, okay. I met my son's mom and we got together a relationship and then all of a sudden we we get this apartment. I was so happy to get out of the ghetto and um, I was just so happy to get the apartment. I didn't know the law. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, we got the apartment and we supposed to have a year lease. It's crazy because we had a lease, everything paid security deposit and we were in, we were in by November and then um, a few months she wanted a place back, I guess. She just wanted to just, she just, so one day she just, um, decided to, you know, call the police. And as I'm getting dressed to go to work, um, police come, police and housing authority, they came in my apartment and they told me that, um, I had to leave. Well, the landlord had told a lie. She had just made up a lie, but she, the whole time she had got caught on camera. That's what helped us. And when mm-hmm. she came in, she had stole the computer and everything, but she really came for the lease. But she just ended up stealing the computer charger. When um DC housing and the police came, I was getting ready for work, and I thing you know, um, they told me I had to leave. And I, I, once I showed them the lease, they were like, "It was civil." Wait, did they think that you were squatting? That you were taking? Well, yeah. actually, yeah, that's what they thought. She just um, you know, she really made up a a great story. And also, she got caught on camera too. She got caught on camera coming in and leaving out. She had a bag when she came in and leave, left out. So they saw that, and eventually they changed the locks, and she couldn't come back anymore. 
Wow. Yeah, they changed the locks for us, but they just gave us a short time to stay there, like yeah. three, maybe three or four months. We did everything to try to get help. We went everywhere in D.C., Martha's, uh, everything you can do, Virginia Williams. We did everything that you could do to get help. But in D.C., I learned that there's no subleasing in housing. So they gave us a little bit of time to stay and we had to go. What was the situation afterwards when the four or five months that they gave you were up? My my son's mom, she was pregnant, and um, that was the main thing. It was, it was I think it was more embarrassing too because I we I worked so hard to get an apartment, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I just didn't know the law, and so and you know, like I said, I just had got my income tax check and bought a bed, TVs, cal- everything you could, you know, the things yeah. you do taxes, and and I was just so happy. And then just that fast, I had to go. And I was just thinking, like, what am I going to do? Because it's like you're embarrassed because it's like, where are you going to go? In my mind, just personally, I was like, where am I going to go? She's pregnant. Oh, man, it's summertime. And I did not want to go live back with her mother. But I knew I was like, my son's mom, she left. She she never came back to the apartment. And I was like, okay, wow, she's pregnant. She's gone. She's not coming back. What was your relationship like with your fiance? We 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 had a cool relationship until her addiction took over. So that was the main thing, her addiction. And it was easy for her to leave because she was addicted. And when she left, she just left everything. That's when I knew. I was like, what woman just leaves? Like, I would just stay to it. It's still freedom. Even though you know you have to leave, it's still freedom. You still can come in your house and take a shower. And she went back to her mom's and. I stayed at the apartment for a little while, but I knew she was having a baby and I knew I had to go. So I had got blessed. Um, somebody had in a security guard in the building, knew somebody. And I was fortunate enough that they bought everything that I bought just about because I was so worried. Where am I going to put all this stuff in storage? And, you know, you're like, OK, storage. It's, I was just losing my mind. And it was crazy because I already had two daughters. It was like, now where are they going to go? Like, where are my daughters going to go? Who? So that was the main thing. So I. After I sold everything, um, eventually I was just thinking about my son's mom because I know she's pregnant. So I eventually I just went to her mom, to her, her mom's with her for a while, slept in the car, you know, because you just is you is embarrassing really, because I just left the ghetto, I just left where I was. My whole thing was um just I wasn't thinking about getting put out, and I guess I was just so happy to have a place, and I was just thinking move forward, and I thought my son's mom was thinking the same thing, but once we had to move and go back to her mom's, her true identity showed. That was just the main thing. And um, like I said, I tried to sleep in the car for a while, but it was too hot in the car and everybody knows me. So like I said, her habit brought her back to her mom's house and I followed her back to her mom's and, and I just made it work. You made what work? Like I said, I slept in the car for a while. After a while, I couldn't. So yeah. I talked to her mom and her mom said, um, you know, I could stay there with her. Okay. Me and her could stay there. I didn't want to, but I had no choice, um, you know. But eventually, we couldn't go back to the place. So, When you were in this situation living with her mother, is that when you started working with Street Sense? Yeah, yeah. I, that's gotcha. that's another reason I got with Street Sense. Gotcha. I was so upset one day and um, I just went for a walk. And I walked past the Street Sense vendor. I forget her name. But I, it was a street sense vendor that I support. That you know, before I was a vendor, I stopped and talked to the street sense vendor that I always buy a paper from. And she was, I was just telling her what was going on in my housing situation. And she talked to me and she was like, Well, 
you know that um that's what our main thing is housing so she gave me the number she was like you know um orientation actually i watched her work for like an hour mm-hmm. i watched her work for like 45 minutes and i was like whoa and i was like well i could do this you know what i mean i was mm-hmm. like and i was like i can work and try to get housing because too i had lost i had lost my job at the time too and i walked watched her for 45 minutes and she told me when orientation was and i was like okay and how was the working situation for you at the time when it came to being able to find work? Well, it was always um, challenging to find work. That's why I got with Shreesense, because I was like, whoa, just think about all the jobs I had. When she was telling me, you buy your papers, you sell your papers. And I just thought about, okay, all the Shreesense vendors, I was like, I know I was one of the dedic- most dedicated people alive. But mm-hmm. once I got started you know, selling the newspaper, it was just like a totally different it was just totally different because it's like, I like to work. I, working is no problem for me. I love to work, but it has to be something that I don't want to quit. Well, some people look down on a person selling the newspaper for six years, but I'm a different person. I, I was like, whoa, that's dedication. Like, you know what I mean? It's dedications. So earlier you mentioned that you love being able to feel as part of a community and you have that with Street Sense. How does this make you feel? I, I love it, man. It's a community. It's like a family. That's the main thing. It's family because, um, like, not just the street sense staff, the vendors, just people that we meet every day. Like I tell people, when you know customers by their name, when you know people by their yes. name, faces everywhere you go, you're not even on the clock. But I guess they saw me so much. Like I tell people, in these last six years, I think we've seen some of the biggest things in history in D.C. So much change the six years just where i sell a paper trader joe's that's we saw so much and i tell people when people see you in the rain they got to see you in the snow they see you in the snow they got to see you in 100 degrees they got to see you so that's what it was people saw me my thing was i always got more attention being clean and being polite that's me that's what works for me so i was like okay that's what works for me like i said not just the community they've been there for me too like everything i've been through they've been there You know, Ron, I'm so happy that you were able to be surrounded by that positivity and support. Something else that caught my attention about you is your philosophy in life. You have a very unique way to view things, and you're very positive and have an incredible work ethic. You have said before that you don't want to be a beggar. You don't want to be begging on the street. You wanted to work for the money that you gained. And I wanted to talk about that. How did you come to develop that value in your life? Well, I always says, I tell people, um... I, I blame Southern Maryland for that part. You know, I'm born in D.C., but my mom died when I was young. So me and my sister, we were raised in Southern Maryland. And I tell people in Southern Maryland, everybody needed everybody. He had the gas. He had the kerosene. It's like everybody needed everybody. So, And that's how I grew up. You know, I left D.C. in my younger years. Um, And like I said, um, St. Mary's County, I don't know if you heard of it. That's why I went to um, elementary, middle, and high school. It didn't matter how much money you had, you still needed somebody without money. And you said that your mother passed away when you and your sister were really young. I recall reading in your book that you were orphaned. How was that situation like for you? And what were the structures around you that you were able to rely on? It was so long ago. It was, it was, I was young. Um, yeah, my, my mom died when I was younger. My aunt and uncle in St. Mary's County, Southern Maryland. So me and my sister, we ended up in St. Mary's County. And I was in Southern Maryland since I was maybe fourth grade. So, um, I just, you know, I just, sometimes I just remember um, just, you know, my mom leaving and saying, don't open the door. 
and you know, just me and my sister there, I'm a little kid. I'm just like, I don't even really know how old I was. It was I was so young. I just know that um, back then, drug, I'm not sure if it was crack or heroin, just began. And I guess my mom was a victim of it. Even as a kid, whatever your mom say do, you do it. If your mom say, don't open the door for anybody, you don't open the door. That's all you remember. I just know that she left and um, she just took her forever to come back, like days and days. And, and sometimes I would just think about, um, you know, just look in the refrigerator, it wouldn't be nothing but a, maybe, like, I just remember cheese and butter, something like that. You know, just a block of cheese and some butter and some water. And and I just remember um, maybe having to um, wash a diaper for my sister, you know, in the tub. It's like, you taught things like this. And I just remember, like, eating chicken bones out the trash can. You know, you're breaking the chicken bones and eating the middle. I can't say it was every day, but I do remember that. I just remember my mom leaving and saying, don't let anybody in. And if you let anybody in, you're going to get in trouble. So I never let anybody in. And I just know one day that um, me and my sister were walking and somebody just picked us up in the car. And next thing you know, we in foster homes. And so, you know, it was, you know, it was, it's kind of, it was weird. It was, it was weird, but I still love my mom. You just love your mom. She can't, she couldn't do wrong. You know what I mean? I just figured that she was, um, it's a victim of life because I know because I'm older, like, like she didn't even, I don't even think she made it to be my age. So she was just a victim of life. And, um, like I said, I give her the benefit of the doubt. I love her, miss her, pray for her. And I try and, to keep a lot of that in my heart. Like, yeah. um, yeah, I keep a lot of that. So. Thank you for sharing that with us today, Ron. I know it isn't always easy to travel back to early experiences like these. You went on to live with your aunt then, is that right? Yeah, my aunt. My aunt that raised me in Southern Maryland. We have the same birthday, so, you know, it wasn't easy, but it was cool. We ate every day, and I like the country because it made me work. It made you a man. It made you respect people. Like, nobody was perfect. You know, you got problems everywhere. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when everybody need each other, it's a different, it's different. Like when everybody need each other, it's like, okay, we got to get along. We need each other. So that's all. So right now you're renting out a room. Are you able to have your children with you? No, um, my daughter stay with their mom it's, and my son. He's with a family member, but he's in a better place. So how does that make you feel that your children aren't with you currently? It hurt because before I got my, got with my son's mom, my daughters end up saying everything my son's mom did. My son's in my son's mom's stomach. And, you know, I had, we just had a party and I got my daughters over. They're so happy. Uh, you know, that's why I got it for my daughters and her son, my son's mom's son. You know, I had two kids already. She had a son and she get pregnant. You know, so that was the main thing. I just wanted to get the apartment so that my daughters could be happy. And, you know, um, like I said, the apartment, it didn't last because my son's mom stole. She had a like serious drug habit, pills, and then it went to heroin. But it was just so bad that it would make her just do things. And, you know, it just, yeah, yeah so. This is, this is very deep stuff. And I'm honestly really honored that you're sharing it. I think that truly being able to express yourself and share your own experiences, you know, a lot of people experience similar circumstances and emotions as well. And showing that not only did you experience it, but that you chose to look towards the positive, you know? You still choose every day that you're going to take control of that day. 
I think that's very, very important. And that's why I wanted to have this interview with you. And so what is it, Ron, that keeps you moving forward every day? I tell people life and mainly the street sense customers, man, street sense. Like I tell people, um, of course, my family, kids and everything I want in the future. But just I tell right now, as of today, street sense, I tell if it, I couldn't even write, could not really write these last months. But as soon as I got the paper back, it's like I started writing instantly. Whenever I'm feeling anything negative, I go to work. If I don't go to work, something bad will happen. And times that I didn't go to work, something bad happened. So I was just like, okay, that that's all. Just um, it, I tell people it was hard when the coronavirus first came, but I still try to go out there. People still show me love, but like I said, I have to respect the people too. It's like, well, I just I love the people, man. They they look out for me. And it's also been a tough time working for income, right? How long were you without income with StreetSense since they had to close down? Like months, like since maybe March, April, May, June. So the paper just came back. So months. I know that you were interviewed for an article in the Washington Post, which highlighted your struggle and readers sent donations your way and of the proceeds of your own book, which you had. But if it wasn't for these things, what do you think you may have done? I don't know. I was every day I was wondering, like, what am I going to do? But it's crazy because like the stimulus check, you know, um, Street Sense, um, they helped us do that. So that yeah. came, you know, the interview, the, um, my stimulus. So everything came. It was like a blessing. Like, okay, when you know you're going to do the right thing with the money, you're going to get it. Like, boom. So I just figured if I wasn't going to do the wrong thing, just, everything was just perfect time. And I can't explain why. So... <laughs> You know, Ron, I think that feeling that way is also important because it's what gives you that extra spark and that extra sense of gratitude, you know, because the universe speaking to you or God giving you these blessings, all of that is positive thinking. And it's important to feel that way and think that way, because, you know, if we go through hard times, it helps to think that maybe there's a blessing around the corner and you've been having a lot of blessings with street sense, which is so great to see. It was so funny because I was telling people, um, money is like once you get a certain age and things are different like even though you know you need money we need money but i would feel weird if i was a millionaire and everybody that support me is poor you know what i'm saying like that would feel weird to me so i was like okay i'd rather be no disrespect but i'd rather be leveled up with everybody else mm-hmm. i know we need but what's wrong with being leveled up it's like okay if like all of my supporters are suffering through the coronavirus, who knows if they got stimulus, but they still kind of they still trying to help me. It, it's it's cool to have money, but if everybody that's supporting you are broke, do you really want that money? You know what I mean? What do you feel about that? How do you feel about having to struggle so much throughout your life, Ron? Well, I just um I just know people struggle more than me, and that's how I look at it. Like I, I always tell myself, no complaints. Because, and you know, if this lady is in a wheelchair, she's 80 years old, but she's in a wheelchair going somewhere. It's like, what excuse do I have? I have no excuse. Only excuse I have is not to try. You got to get up and at least try. What is your hope or your desire for the future based on where you are today? Because I know that when you wrote your book, I read that your dream was to have a key and lease. It's so funny because it's still the same thing. It's still the same thing. Like, yeah, because I have a key, but it's somebody else's. <laughs> so yeah. it's always going to be different when you live with somebody else. It's like, no matter how good it is, mm-hmm. it's somebody else's key. It's like, okay, 
I need my own lease and my own key, and I'll be more, like I said, focused. It's like you you focus, but you focus. How can you be focused in somebody else's house? You know what I mean? Like it's hard to really, you know, you 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 appreciate it, but you never get too cute because you know that any day could be your last. And they are they ask me why do I like living in the ghetto? It was just like <laughs> it just seemed like that. But I, you know, and like I said, when I had my apartment, it didn't last for long. But at least my kids did get to see it. So, and I was like, this time I got to do it right. Like no matter what, I got to do it right. So, and I really thought that if enough, I really thought that if enough, like a lot of streets and vendors got housing. Everybody got housing except me. I guess because I was on the front line, just selling the paper. Just I was so worried about the business and the rules and. It's just like, okay, I was the last person to try to get housing. But everybody got housing. People get food stamps and everything. People, I still haven't got food stamps. So I just figure if I don't work, I don't eat. People need food stamps. They should have them. You know what I mean? And you know what, Ron? You have a lot to be spotted for. Your poetry, your music, and your book called My Science Project. Ron, what led you to decide to publish a book that includes your poetry? It was so crazy. Um... I was writing a piece called The Tree of Life. I was at home writing it, and um, I told my roommate, I was like, um, you know, because sometimes you pray for the wrong things and you get them. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, um, when I wrote The Tree of Life, I was like, whoa, this is like one of the deepest things I ever wrote. I was like, and I said, okay, I'm going to pray on this. I was like, okay. I told my roommate, I said, this is the one that somebody going to notice me. And I just told him that. I was like, this is the piece because I took a picture I sent a picture to the editor, Eric, and he's like one of my number one fans. And he loved the picture. I called it the tree of life. He was like amazing picture. So because it's the picture that I see in the ghetto when I come out the back door. And I, that's what let me know. I was like, OK, I'm in the ghetto, but this is prime real estate. That's why I say another man's trash is another man's treasure. So when I saw the tree of life. I took the picture. And when I wrote, finally wrote it, finished writing, I told my roommate, I said, this is the one. I think like a couple of days later, a guy walked past me twice, two or three times. Boop, 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 boop. I was like, tell him I got a paper. And he was like, okay. He went in the store. He said, I'll get it when I come out. Got it. As I get to work a couple of days later, people said a guy was looking for me for the last couple of days. So I'm just thinking it's one of my regular customers. The whole time is him. Mm. He came by. Um, he was like, you're a genius. And that's what I said when I wrote Tree of Life. I told my roommate, I was like, man, this is some genius work. I was like, this is one of my deepest pieces. When the guy bought the book, he read it and looked for me. He's like, would you do a book on science and blah, blah, blah. He's like, can you do science? It was so weird because um, I always loved science. My daughter and her mom, they Scientologists, like the biggest, like L. Ron Hubbard. They like super. I just didn't grow up that way. You can have that. I just didn't grow up that way. I understand. Mm-hmm. But um, he just asked me if I could do um, a book on science, and we shook on it. And, and when, once we shook on it, I started to work, and he was a man of his word. Like, everything he said he would do, he did everything. And and there was the book. Like, it was so fun because the science thing, the science is just, <laughs> this is amazing to write. So I couldn't even sleep when I wrote that stuff. Like, I was just, like, in a zone, like, writing. Like, I was in, like, a super zone. I asked Ron if he could end our interview by reading his poem, Tree of Life, a poem in which he highlights his own character and ability to withstand life's harshest elements. 
his determination to bend but never break. Using the tree of life as a metaphor, Ron shares with us his journey of survival, rebirth, and resilience. They say I'm the tree of life, tried to stab me with a knife, then they tried to chop me down, I grew back overnight, then they tried to cut my root, take my seed, take my fruit, then they tried to burn me down, still grew back out the ground, they say I'm the tree of life, I'm older than a dinosaur, I was in the garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve before, I was on a boat with Noah and all the animals, and I made it float to go, the way we had to go, they say I'm the tree of life, I'm taller than the monument, even though I came from the dirt, still I was heaven sent, I was with the moon last night, we woke the sun up, got it out of bark on my tree that you could run up. I grew up in the forest with trees and not the flowers. Did a lot of praying, then God gave me the power. They say I'm the tree of life, I'm here to keep the planet green. I just need the world to help me keep my planet clean. I just need the world to know and to understand. God gave this world a tree to protect his land. They say I'm the tree of life, I'm here to keep the world alive. God gave his only son, but he let a tree survive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.